From the Daily Northwestern, this is The Weekly. I'm Shane McKeon. Welcome to the show, week five. Week five, the height of midterm season. If you're listening to this, at least you've made it through most of your midterms, I'm hoping. First up on the show today, this national election is going to conclude in a few weeks, but here in Evanston, the race for mayor is just heating up. Our own Davis Rich talked to our city editor, Nora Shelley, about the race and its candidates. Hi, Nora. Hi, Davis. Thanks for sitting down with me. Could you tell me a little bit about the candidates in Evanston's election? Yeah, sure. So there are four candidates right now. Two are aldermen. Alderman uh, Mark Tendum, he's from the 6th Ward, and Alderman Brian Miller from the ninth uh, Ward. And then there's a businessman, Steve Haggerty, and then a fourth candidate, Gary Gaspard, announced uh, just a little bit ago, and he was the former Evanston Township supervisor. So the mayor isn't running in this election. Could you tell me a little bit about why the mayor isn't running? Yeah, I think she just felt it was her time to go. She's been mayor for eight years, um, and so she tweeted over the summer that she She's loved every minute of it, but uh, it's time for new challenges. And what are some of the important issues in this election, both that the candidates have been talking about and that are important to the people in Evanston? Well, one thing I know that's important to Mayor Tisdall is safety, gun violence among youth, and youth employment. And so I know that Mark Tendum has said that he hopes to continue with that sort of platform. So Gary Gaspard hasn't really announced his platform yet. In his announcement, he sent out a press release and just kind of said he's getting his campaign started and will be talking with community members, community leaders in the coming weeks to kind of form something together. And um, Alderman Miller has said he wants to run a really transparent government, and he said he wants to get back to the fundamentals of governing, and he seems to not want to spend city money in ways he might think frivolous. He kind of wants to get back to what the day-to-day things to make people's lives better, I guess, is his ideas. So part of that was infrastructure for the city's parks. He also referenced gun violence in a campaign event that he something he wants to crack down on, try to solve those problems. So Mayor Tisdall had some comments about Brian Miller's campaign. Could you talk a little bit more about what she had to say? Uh, yeah, so Mayor Tisdall seems to feel that Brian Miller hasn't worked well with people in his time as alderman. He, of course, disagreed, but it just seems more of a, a working relationship sort of thing. And it was a bit surprising, I think, to our reporter who talked to her. But she has said that Alderman Tendum and Steve Haggerty, she thinks, would, are good candidates. And Mayor Tisdall criticized Gary Gaspard in that he resigned as township supervisor after only a few months. But she didn't comment too much on his mayoral candidacy. She hadn't talked to him about his platform at the time we talked to her about him. So there seems to be a bit of a disagreement between Tisdall and Miller about a board member of the the mental health board. Uh, Tisdall feels that something he said to that board member, that person resigned, and Miller says that's not really what happened. So there seems to be a bit of a confusion between the two there. That's, that's something Tisdall referenced when she said she wasn't super supportive of Miller's candidacy for mayor. Steve Haggerty has been involved with city government before, although he's mostly a businessman, but he was the chair of the Harley-Clark Citizens Committee. So the Harley-Clark is a mansion that the city owns and had to decide what to do with it a few years ago, and it's kind of been an ongoing thing to decide because it was kind of deteriorating a bit, and they just recently made a decision about that to keep it in city hands, but for a while, Steve Haggerty served on that committee. At a campaign event this week, Haggerty said that he thinks Evanston's a really great city and that he plans to just make refinements to the city of drastic reform. We're going to talk now about Wildcat Welcome. 
That first week of freshman year is tough for any new student, but a university task force reports that it's especially difficult for freshmen who are black. Our own Juliet Johnson sat down with Michaela Davis. Davis is a PA, and they talked about what it's like to be a new student and what it's like to be a PA. In terms of your PA group, would you say it was a diverse group? Would you say it was pretty homogeneous? What was the makeup of your group? I feel like it was pretty diverse. Like, if I'm thinking about, like, the greater Northwestern population, I would say that my PA group as a little microcosm was, like, more diverse than the greater Northwestern population. Or it seemed that way to me. Did you ever feel like there were any issues or challenges during your Wildcat welcome experience because of any of your identities? I think I was mostly just, like, surprised because... So the pre-Wildcat program I did was, like, directed at minorities, and I didn't actually know that. So, like, when I did the program, I was like, wow, like, Northwestern's so diverse. Like, this is crazy. But then when, like, I got to Wildcat Welcome, I was like, oh, we were, like, a special group. So that was just, like, I don't know, kind of, like, surprising because I feel like, I mean, a lot of people talk about this, but, like, Northwestern really, like, pushes the fact that they're super diverse and that's, like, on all of their pamphlets and everything. And, like, to some degree it is like it's more diverse than some schools but I don't know if it's as diverse as they made it out to be and I mean I, I came from like a very homogenous background so it was like more diverse than I was used to but not as diverse as I had hoped I think a lot of people talk about this too but like going to the frat parties it's like kind of weird there's not a lot of people of color at those events and like I feel like when I would go And I would, like, be with other people from my pre-Wildcat program, and, like, we would kind of get, like, turned away from places. And, like, they would always be like, oh, like, we're at capacity, we're at capacity or whatever. And then they'd, like, let in some other people that were not so colorful as us. So, I don't know. Like, I feel like I saw that happen. Maybe it was just, like, coincidence, but that was my experience, and it kind of, like, bummed me out. So fast forward two years, now you are a PA yourself. You have your own group of advisees and, you know, you're sort of not going through Wildcat Welcome again, but uh, now you sort of have a different role in the orientation program. So I guess, uh, again, in terms of your identity or identities, would you say that being a PA and also being a person of color, you've encountered any kind of challenges that perhaps you wouldn't have had to go through if it weren't the case. Me and like the other black PAs, like everyone was like counting like through the days they're like, oh, like there's six black PAs. Like we were like always trying to figure that out. So that was kind of funny. But like, I didn't feel like uncomfortable really at any point. I feel like most of the PAs that like I interacted with were very like conscious of like some of the social issues that are like going on right now like I feel like people were very respectful when like because we discussed these issues obviously because you know with some of the different TNDs like topics like this come up but I feel like everyone was like pretty respectful I was very happy that it was like different topics were like brought up and people were made aware of privilege was something we talked about I think that's really important so now I kind of want to talk a little bit about the Black Student Experience Task Force report that came out earlier in the year. So one of the recommendations was looking at Wildcat Welcome and maybe making some tweaks or some adjustments to make the program itself more inclusive. If you yourself were 
in charge of running Wildcat Welcome or had to make any suggestion for Wildcat Welcome, would there be anything that you would change or anything that you would expand upon? Yeah, so like I said, so during training, we talked a lot about like privilege and I, I guess like how to approach situations respectfully. And I found that like really helpful. I found that that like made me feel a lot more comfortable around the PAs that were like in my particular session for that. And I don't feel like that's something that's like as emphasized with Wildcat Welcome. Like it's more just for the PAs to like facilitate better. But I actually think that that is a really important conversation. And I wish that they hit on that more because obviously we have the diversity and inclusion TND. And I think that, you know, gets people thinking about it. But I do feel like we could like dig a little deeper. You may or may not know this, but the weekly is not the daily's only podcast. We also have the spectrum where our spectrum editors, Ariel Chase and Rachel Hampton sit down with students who have written for the spectrum which is a part of our opinion section that focuses on the experiences of marginalized students. This week, they talked to Zoe Johnson about the importance of queer women being represented in the media and in the real world. Let's listen. Juno Diaz has a great quote about representation. There's this idea that monsters don't have reflections in a mirror. And what I've always thought isn't that monsters don't have reflections in a mirror. It's that if you want to make a human being into a monster, deny them at the cultural level any reflection of themselves. Representation, the idea that if people exist in real life, they should also exist in fiction, newspapers, and school curriculums, is praised for having a dramatic effect on people's ideology. But more importantly, it helps little baby queers like my 10-year-old self understand that we aren't monsters, we deserve love and happiness, and we deserve to live. Thanks for that. That was beautiful. So a significant portion of your piece centers on the movie Bend It Like Beckham, which I recently saw this summer. What would it have meant to you if the movie ended up as originally scripted with the two main characters actually getting together? It would have been awesome if it could have been like, actually, we are gay and that's fine because our friendship is beautiful and our relationship is beautiful and we win soccer games. So my next question for you is kind of going off of movies also. So how do you feel about films like Pitch Perfect, for example? How do you feel about movies like that that have like problematic lesbian roles? It was like Tracy Dean, something like that. And she was like the lesbian in that movie. And they made like, like little random jokes and they made it seem as if like lesbian women can't have straight women friends without always making them uncomfortable and like looking at them a certain way, whatever. And it kind of reminds me of the question of like black representation films where it's like, you have the sassy friend and you're kind of happy a little bit just to even have the role <laughs> to have some color in there, but it still is problematic because it has these different tropes and all that kind of stuff. So how do you feel about those types of movies? And do you think that these count as representation in a way or that they're more detrimental than helpful? I think you kind of summed it up perfectly. <laughs> I mean, I, I only saw the first Pitch Perfect movie, but it, I was so uncomfortable the entire time, yeah. Um, because she just, like, every single thing she did was in the vein of, you know, like, like, she actually, like, gropes people (laughs) at different Mm -hmm. points, or, like, there's a thing of, I think, I can't remember any of their names, but, like, at one point, one of them, like, (laughs) falls down and is, like, having trouble breathing, and the, the girl who's, like, the lesbian is, like, oh, like, I'll do CPR, and the other girl's, like, no, no, like, don't come near me, and Mm -hmm. it's, like, oh, God, uh, stop. 
yeah, it it made me so uncomfortable because I was like, is this how other people see me? Mm-hmm. Do you, like are people not going to be comfortable being in a room with me? And like generally speaking, I only really have female friends, and if straight girls aren't comfortable around me, then that's a problem. Especially in like middle and high school, where now I can like pretty much only have queer friends if I want because there's a lot of us going around. But especially in middle school that was really hard, especially because we had like gym class. And so I would be like very actively like (laughs) focused on my locker because I'd be like, I can't let anyone think that I'm looking at them Mm -hmm. because what if it's weird? So I I hated that movie so much Mm -hmm. because it's like, I really don't need you making you look like this. So after Ellen seems like a space that also centers younger queer women, like those who aren't in college or living alone, do you think there's a lack of youth-centered lesbian spaces like that online and off? Most definitely. And I don't know how... I mean, the part of the problem is that um, it's really hard to create those spaces because you're not exactly going to sit around with, like, 10-year-olds being like, let's talk about sexuality because... 10-year-olds don't exactly have, I don't know, they don't exactly have developed sexualities in terms of, like, they haven't gone through puberty yet. So that's going to be a hard thing for them to discuss. But, like, the way in which you have those spaces is that they have to be part of, like, a really broad cultural narrative where, like, people just exist. And they exist in the media and they exist in your life. It has to start super young in terms of, like, I love picture books that are like my mommy's and me like those are so (laughs) cute and they kill me and they're so nice because it's like kids will actually really accept whatever rules of society you set down for them because kids live by rules that's how their worlds work and so if you say these things exist and they're a part of the structure of our society they'll be like cool kids don't have a problem with it it's just when they get older and things start not fitting into their conception of the world that they have a problem. Oh, man. What do you think about also the high school spaces, like high school and middle school, so when you've, like, hit puberty, but, like, you're still sorting things out? I guess my ideal with high school would be that it's something that's, like, a current that you can grab onto within a broader context that, right, that you don't have to, like, set yourself off. And I think the easiest way to do that is through media stories which I'm already said a couple of times but it's like if you can literally just like go to the library and you can pretend you're just flipping through books and you just like stumble upon it you're like wow look at that like that's so much easier than having to be like okay I have to go to this place at this time in order to be in a space that's comfortable for me that's our show Thank you to our contributors, our own Claire Fahey, Juliet Johnson, Rachel Silverstein, and Davis Rich, and to WNUR's Alex Letterman. Our audio editor is Corey Mueller. The Weekly is a production of the Daily Northwestern, Northwestern and Evanston's only daily news source since 1881. You can find us online at dailynorthwestern.com, as well as on Twitter, Facebook, Snapchat, and Instagram. I'm Shane McKeon. Thanks for listening.